0: You're listening to The Sill Podcast with Peter Noce and Harry Posner. Rewinding to March of 2020, we re-release a slightly revised podcast of an episode you might have missed. TSP 120, Hagia Sophia, Church of the Holy
1: Wisdom. You're sitting inside the Hagia Sophia. Marble pillars rise up around you. Dusty light filters in through the windows in the massive dome above. And this is how you might hear Capella Romana.
2: What we're talking about today relates to several of our previous podcasts. We talked about the history of arches, the very first Time Track episode which relates to the Arches of the Dome mm-hmm. and the structure of the Dome at Hagia Sophia. And then we also talked about Notre Dame after it had burned. And so here's a, a venerated and large structure,
0: an institution, a well-loved building. Which happens to fall right between those two historical periods.
2: Yeah, very interesting. So here we are talking about the Hagia Sophia today, which makes perfect sense.
0: Talk a little bit about uh, some of my ancestors. Mm -hmm. Romanos. Yes, indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, carry on. So about 330 AD, give or take a year, the Romans decide to pack up shop and move Rome to Byzantium, which today is known as Istanbul, Turkey. Right. With a population of 15 million or thereabouts, making it the largest city in Europe by population, even though part of it Sits in Asia, while part of it sits in Europe. It is classified as a European city. It was known as the Eastern Roman Empire. That area it was known as Byzantium,
2: and it was ruled by various emperors, mm-hmm. including Constantine, was the first.
0: That's where we get the name Constantinople.
2: Thus, the name Constantinople. Right. And now, Constantine is important in the history. Okay? Yes, he is. We're talking now three twenty-four to three thirty-seven, around mm-hmm. there. He was the one who legalized Christianity. Before that, it wasn't an official legalized religion. Once it was legalized, suddenly there came the need for official sanctioned structures, halls of worship, buildings.
0: Physical edifices.
2: Yeah. Prior to that, Christian religion was practiced rather privately. So now they had to decide, do we go big? What do we do here? And they decided to build cathedrals to worship in. Mm -hmm. So there were several. There were two cathedrals built in Constantinople before Hagia Sophia, of which we're going to speak. Both of them came down for various reasons. One from rioting and Mm -hmm. a rebellion. The very earthquake prone area. So pieces of these cathedrals are crashing down. At any rate, along comes Justinian. A number of years later, and he decides to build a cathedral on the same spot as those other
0: two. Right. And it was also picked because it was close to this palace.
2: That's right. And so he brings in some Greek designer architects from Greece, Isidore of Miletus and Anthemius of Tralles.
0: And by the way, although it was classified as a Roman Empire, yeah. Greek was the predominant culture and language. That's right. In that area. So it took five years, thousands of
2: man-hours, to build the original Hagia Sophia, and that's H-A-G-I-A
0: Sophia, S-O-P-H-I-A. 532 to 537
2: AD. Yeah. And when you translate it, it becomes something like the Church of the Holy Wisdom. Yes. So it became the seat of Byzantine Christian, to start with, Greek Orthodox later, Roman Catholic for a short period of time in the 13th century, then Greek Orthodox again, and then became an Ottoman mosque in 1453, when the Ottomans took over and created their empire. Yes. This structure, this huge structure, the biggest basilica in the
0: world. For a thousand for a years. For thousand years. Yes. Yeah. until the 16th century, which was St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Right. To me, that's mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. There's good reason for it, though, when you
2: look at the structure itself. Monumental. It's 269 feet long. It's 240 feet wide, and it's 180 feet.
0: At the apex of the dome.
2: Of the dome, the central Mm -hmm. dome, or 55 meters. Actually, when you go into the structure,
0: engineers have referred to it as a canyon.
2: Yeah, the nave, I guess that's the name
0: of that big open space, is gigantic. Amazing acoustics. And we'll play a piece of that during this podcast.
2: Yeah, and I think we've heard some off the top as well. The band called the Capella Romana that uh, recorded the music, so, yeah, the building itself, incredible history, changes of religion, and eventually it became a museum, so secular.
0: That's right. Well, it didn't become a museum until 1934. Yeah. In 1934, Ataturk, founder of modern Turkey, was the one who converted the mosque into a museum. Oh. And it's a highly symbolic structure, not just from a religious aspect, but from a social, political Even its particular position, it's right between Europe and Asia. It's right at the line because Istanbul, part of it is in Asia and part of it is in Europe. And so you have travelers
2: traveling west, traveling east. They they go through this sort of almost checkpoint in the middle where these cultures meet. Amazing amalgamation. Yeah. So a very interesting dynamic going Mm -hmm. on right there.
0: And then when you get into, as you said, the physical structure of the building itself. Mm Mm-hmm. Obviously, adopting a lot of the Roman design and architectural elements, but taking it a step further.
2: Yeah. One of the most interesting aspects of the building is that the central dome, they decided to build it atop a square structure. And typically, domes were supported on a curved structure. Curve on curve. Curve on curve. But this is a curve on a square, which set up some real challenges architecturally. And in fact, in the early years of the building, an earthquake happened, and the middle of the dome, most of it came down. So they reconstructed the dome, but with a very interesting innovation.
0: Before you continue, the original roof was
2: wood. Oh, yes, that's right. So I guess they changed all that, and they used bricks and mortar. And interestingly enough, in our day, when we put bricks and mortar together, it's thick brick. Thin mortar in between. This was the opposite. This is the opposite. Thick layer of mortar, thin bricking. And I presume it made it lighter.
0: Because this was one of the greatest challenges. I mean, the size of the dome, because now you're going to create a structure that is of masonry or cement. Yeah. And now you have to find a way to distribute that weight. And as we've talked about in previous podcasts with arches and so on, that particular design requires reinforcement to keep the External forces that push outward. Yes. So in this beautifully intricate design, beneath these wonderful marble walls and so on, are hidden these huge stone structures that give it strength from which these arches can distribute the forces down.
2: Yeah, they created several things for support. They created buttresses on the outside of the building, Mm -hmm. on two sides, to help stability and they created something called pendentives which were kind of there between the gaps in the square base and the curve of the dome so they filled them with these curved structures which allowed the forces to distribute properly and the other thing they did with the dome when they rebuilt it was they put a row of windows at the base of it beautiful it's stunning the light that comes in is stunning and it reduces the weight of the dome substantially Brilliant idea.
0: Yes. With those windows, it gives it a very kind of celestial feel when you're looking upwards. It's almost like the dome is floating on top of this light Mm -hmm. because the actual space between the windows is kind of blurred by the light that's being produced by these openings. Right. And when the Muslim
2: invasion, the Ottoman invasion happened in 1453, they, well, first of all, people were holed up in the cathedral. For sanctuary, and they went in, they enslaved them and raped them, did some terrible things. That the usual
0: in, rape and pillage scenes of every conquering which, body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: This is now a mosque. Well, how is it a mosque? Well, we better build some minarets. So they added minarets to the structure, and they plastered over a lot of the gold mosaics of Jesus and the saints and all those stories. All the familiar
0: Christian elements. I-
2: iconography. Right. They covered it over and they brought in more Islamic Iconography, And then these large discs were hung as well, that's a bit later, in the interior nave with, I presume, sayings from the Koran. So they basically added their own Islamic elements. So they were converting it from a church to a mosque, basically. Mm-hmm. Which it remained for almost a thousand years. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> in,
0: in fact, I don't know if you saw the uh, actual images of the floor areas. Yeah. They're all worn and smoothed over and hollowed out from 1,500 years. That building is just shy of 1,500 years old. And it's astounding. And you know, a lot of the work is marble. It was the most expensive part of the
2: structure. But different marbles. It's like So there's all kinds of different sort of colors and shades and textures. It's a very textured building. Yes, it is. Inside.
0: And something interesting about the marble. There are sections of it that were actually sawed, but the marble was sawed in such a way that both pieces of the marble look like a reflection of each other.
2: Oh, yes. Kind of like wood grain. Yes. It's it's absolutely beautiful. I've seen pictures of that. It's just glorious. And the building itself really is kind of inspired architecture for hundreds and hundreds of years after its building. Mm -hmm. From the domes and their architecture, it became a, a model for mosques. Yes. After the Turks took over, the Blue Mosque, the famous Blue Mosque in Istanbul was patterned after that.
0: It's a very very strong historical base for the Turkish people. Yeah, uh, so much so that they've kind of reinvigorated that particular building mm-hmm. and the history of it in modern times. The study of that particular building from the times of the Ottoman Empire on has become central to the people's historical theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, this is something we
2: should talk about because this is a big area of discussion, as in how. Grand a space do people actually need to feel God's presence, to connect to the greater powers that be? For some reason, human beings felt it necessary to build gigantic structures so that people would feel the power of the Lord in Mm -hmm. some form or other. It was only because it was deemed a state religion that that began to happen. As soon as something is recognized as an institution, it starts to grow. And get obese, if I can use that
0: word. <laughs> yeah, well, much like our large
2: corporate structures are getting out. Yeah, and then you have to have a clergy. You have to have the people at the top. You have to have an organization and an administration. You need money coming in for repairs and all these things. So mm-hmm. now it becomes like a corporation, as you say.
0: Right? Exactly. And in fact, there is a lot of talk now to get away from these corporate style or heavily iconic structures.
2: Mm-hmm. I remember going into... An anthroposophical church. Explain that in case someone doesn't
0: understand the the meaning of that word.
2: Anthroposophy means the study of or the wisdom of man, Mm. anthropos. Mm -hmm. And anthroposophy was kind of the German equivalent to what theosophy was originally when Madame Blavatsky founded that movement back in the late 19th century. And he took it further. I was a part of a study group for many years. Anthroposophy, learning about their approach to the spirit. Right. And I went into one of their churches, because they do have churches. And it was this poor man's... Bare bones. So bare bones. Yep. No big fancy stained glass and Earth. gold and gilt Earth. and all this stuff. Yeah, it was plain, simple, mm-hmm. like Mennonite or Amish mm-hmm. or something like that. He was just saying that the important thing was to feel it inside, not to get it from the outside.
0: Like idol worship.
2: Yeah, it becomes that. And it's funny right. because in the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. they admonish people for worshiping the golden calf. What do you think the church is? What do you think these cathedrals are? They're golden calves in a sense. A hundred
0: times over.
2: Yeah. And we go in there and we go, oh, wow. And, uh, oh, and uh, the yeah. Lord is big. I'm sorry, but speaking yeah. as an agnostic, let's say.
0: And I do respect the historical and religious significance for me because it's an area that I'm interested in. The architectural aspects of the building I found really fascinating because essentially they took an existing engineering style mm-hmm. and they added to it, they enhanced it. Yep. As an audio lover myself, the acoustics, that piece that was recorded, and there's quite a science behind that, and maybe we can very, very briefly touch on that and how it was reproduced in modern day, the fact that they were able to simulate yeah. the sound.
2: Yeah, apparently these audio engineers devised this way of working so they would actually take a balloon into a space with a recording equipment of various mm-hmm. kinds and they would pop the balloon
0: and then, and, listen, to the acoustic and then listen to the
2: acoustic feedback from the right. popping of the balloon and be able to create a kind of signature audio signature of that space that they could then recreate in the studio yeah nice. no matter yeah. what
0: you played yeah whether it be it voice or instrument you would reproduce that particular tonal wave which completely embodied that space, supposedly as it was 1500 years ago.
1: You're sitting inside the Aia Sophia. Marble pillars rise up around you. Dusty light filters into the windows in the massive dome above. And this is how you might hear Capella Romana. This transformation is possible because of two scholars at Stanford University in two very different fields. Vissera Pencheva is a professor of art history.
2: A lot of my work is focused on reanimating medieval art and architecture.
1: Jonathan Abel is in the computer music department. I study the analysis, synthesis, and processing of sound. When they met, Pencheva started telling Abel about the Hagia Sophia. We couldn't really understand the experience of worshippers there unless we could hear the music the way they did. As she talked, Abel started to feel a prickling of excitement. They could recreate what that music would sound like, if only they could get in the Hagia Sophia and pop a balloon. When a balloon pops, it makes an impulse, a sharp, quick sound that takes on the character of whatever space it's in. So when a balloon pops, you're really hearing the acoustics of the space itself, says Abel. The space interacts with the sound, bringing back to listeners information about the geometry the size the materials present that sort of thing
2: so that music that you heard off the top you can imagine that's what people 1500 years ago would have heard the quality of that sound what they would have heard in that space Mm.
0: without one piece of digital equipment
2: yeah really amazing So staying on technology, the other interesting thing is that there are Japanese technologists who are going into that space with equipment that they run up the The walls. walls, And that equipment is able to detect gold, aspects of gold and metals behind the plaster Uh to determine if there's actually mosaics that have been covered over uh, by the Turks and that at some point might be revealed.
0: Like where they did with the paintings and the Mona Lisas and the rest yeah, of them. Yeah, exactly,
2: mm-hmm. exactly. Interesting. So our fascination with history is wrapped up in these kinds of technology as well. Right? Like, how was it back then? What did people experience? So that's really exciting and interesting to be part of that kind of exploration. Mm-hmm. The other thing interesting too to me is that anytime there's a large project, a challenging project put in front of human beings, we have to become creative.
0: Yep, yeah, we rise to the task at hand.: yeah.
2: New technologies yeah. get developed, new methodologies for exploring.
0: Not only get developed, they get accelerated.
2: Yeah, the evolution gets speeded up, mm-hmm. Whether it's the Suez Canal or other kinds of humongous Well, think about the moon landing. Another example. Wonder how many spin-off? Developments in technology came out of that program.
0: Oh, for sure. And still going on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it's not just a spiritual building.
0: No, it's (laughs) kind of a uh, testament to the the ability of mankind working together, what we can accomplish when we work together and work towards a common goal, which in the world we live in today, Mm -hmm. we're recording this podcast in the midst of this uh, coronavirus, among other things. Yeah. And so if there was ever a time for joint effort, and collaborative efforts to be maximized, it's now. Sure, yeah.
2: Going back to that building Mm. a second. The other thing that occurs to me for making a building large like Mm. that is that the church was a sanctuary for a lot of people. Safe place. A harbor, safe harbor. So Mm -hmm. having a large, large building means you can harbor a lot of people if you're under attack, if you're under
0: siege, which they were. They were. They built an entire wall Remember, they're on the Bosphorus Strait. Yeah. It's one of the reasons why the Romans initially moved there. It was a very strategic position, Mm -hmm. especially for controlling the waterways, the Bosphorus, the Aegean Sea, all the transportation of people and goods, trade, Mm -hmm. east, west. And from the position of where you were sitting on the shores of Constantinople, they built these enormous walls that were basically impermeable for many, many years because it was a constant place of warfare and invasion. Yeah.
2: Well, in some ways it's a wall today. Mm -hmm. If you think about NATO being in there, the American influence keeping the Russians out, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a wall there militarily. Yes. The whole Kurd situation keeping them out. Mm -hmm. Um, So what really should be a meeting point and a mixing point of cultures and ideas and all of that has been taken away by geopolitics.
0: Another Berlin Wall, so to speak.
2: Yeah, exactly, which is a shame, Mm -hmm. of course. Oh, what I also wanted to say was we don't have the largest cathedrals in the world anymore as the largest buildings. What happened was the corporate world began to create skyscrapers and buildings dedicated to commerce.
0: The new religion.
2: So that is, yeah, the new religion. And the Twin Towers was the Hagia Sophia mm-hmm. until they were blown up. So that's now the new focus. That we're supposed to go into those structures and go, wow, look at this building.
0: Yeah, you basically surrender.
2: Yeah, right? Yeah, you're a coward. You're in awe of it. Big money. Mm-hmm. The whole point of these kinds of structures is to... Draw emotions of awe and wonderment and also smallness. As a human being walking into these buildings, I'm tiny and I feel my tinitude in relation to the great powers that are quote unquote above me, expressed by the beauty of the dome and the. Right, the the celestial
0: feel, the universe feel. Yeah, Yeah. So
2: institutions, unfortunately, seem to be designed to make people feel tiny and powerless in some ways powerless without the support of the large organization or more of you need
0: me in order to live and survive
2: sure because you on your own are are, uh,
0: insignificant
2: yeah insignificant so
0: we draw some parallel to where we are today and we've done that as well so we close the podcast and once again we'd like to remind you that we really would love your feedback we welcome your feedback.
2: Of course, the next one we're going to do is a very important podcast. We're going to be talking about something that's been rampant around the globe and getting more rampant as we speak. And that's the COVID-19 virus, which at current levels is around 90,000.
0: Probably at 100,000 before the weekend. we're close to 98,000 today as we're recording this. And we're actually at a higher percentage of fatalities than was originally projected. No, you're in the 3 to 4% range, even if you break it down to 2 whatever. The point is that it's continuing to spread.
2: And it's going to be a very special podcast because what Peter and I have decided to do in support of those who have been quarantined is that we're going to do a 14-day-long podcast, <laughs> nonstop podcast. <laughs> right. So for 14 <laughs> days, nonstop,
0: we're going to be talking. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't want to die before it's over. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, Harry, until next time. Yeah, until next time. Ciao, bello. Ciao, Harry. The Sill Podcast is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at thesillpodcast.com.